Welcome to the A Fire Podcast. Now streaming on Apple, Google, Spotify, and more. Each episode features real and honest conversations with thought leaders from around the world at all levels of the commercial real estate and investing business, examining the ideas and questions fundamental to the future of our industry. Where are we now? What happens next? What should we do about it? How do we become better investors, leaders, and global citizens? For more, here's your host and the CEO of AFIRE, Gunnar Branson. The pandemic is fundamentally altering assumptions about real estate, changing demand, changing the value of different locations, and maybe even changing the built environment itself. At the center of this storm are the value-add investors. They are already familiar with the opportunity and the risk when it comes to change and can help lead in a post-COVID world. I'm talking today with two exceptional value-add experts from Bearings Real Estate, Valeria Falcone, Portfolio Manager and Real Estate Country Head in Italy, and Joe Gorin, Head of Portfolio Management and Value-Add Investing. He's based in the U.S. So let's start with you, Joe. How do you think the value-add landscape is changing in light of COVID-19? So, so that's the question, really, that is on a lot of people's mind, Gunnar, you know, value add investing today, um, you know, during the pandemic, um, you know, we've had some, some, you know, clear impacts on real estate. The impacts have been felt across different product types differently. And so when we look at multifamily and industrial, you know, the demand fundamentals have been relatively strong, um, especially for industrial. And when we look at the impacts of e-commerce through the pandemic, there's really been an acceleration on, on that component of demand. Um, <clears throat> however, when you look at um, kind of the two areas that were impacted even before the pandemic, office and retail, you know, that's where there's been a <clears throat> more of a, a clear um, question mark as to, you know, how will that impact future demand going forward. Retail was already being impacted by, by e-commerce and bricks and mortar retailers were in trouble. Um, but what we didn't expect going into the pandemic and, and no one foreshadowed was, you know, how remote working would suddenly evolve and what potential secular impacts that could have on office. And so when we think about investing generally in value add, you know, during and beyond the pandemic, there were some big question marks. And I think investors have to be very patient and careful because we all want the answers right now. We all feel like there's going to be a great opportunity. There should be a great opportunity um, to invest in value add throughout the pandemic. But we have to remember that real estate is a lagging indicator. And some of the, these effects are, are still being um, uncovered and felt. And so there is an impact. We know there's going to be an impact. It's going to be different across product types. Um, I continue to believe that the best opportunities coming out of the pandemic for value add creation are going to be um, in some of these dislocations in office, dislocations in retail, dislocations in hotel. But then we have to ask ourselves, you know, where are the structural systemic impacts that will go beyond the pandemic? And does that provide an opportunity for value and investing to really reinvent real estate? There are a lot of trends that were in place before the pandemic, most notably, 
um, I would say retail and an office. And, you know, the pandemic is only accelerating a lot of those trends. Um, the other component of it is, you know, before the pandemic, a lot of capital was chasing value add to the point where you saw core and core plus investors even reaching a little bit on the risk spectrum. Um, as we're starting to experience now, some of those investors are, are falling away and becoming a little bit more risk averse. We're all becoming a little bit more risk averse um, in a world where there's a little bit less transparency. And so the good news for value-add investors is um, there's a little bit less competition and some of the you know, high-flying pricing for some of these deals is going to, the air is going to come out of the balloon and there's going to be an opportunity to invest in value-add at more fundamentally reasonable um, pricing, I believe. And that makes a lot of sense, Joe. And, and certainly baked into that question of what is going to happen, not knowing exactly how this will play out um, as we're you know, trying to get some sort of grip on what level of acceleration, how fast, how far have we gone in these product types? That certainly has, has increased the implied risk. Um, it just makes sense that, that when I talk to folks across AFIRE, they are all interested in doing this, but they are having to digest a higher level of uncertainty. So I, I think you put it quite eloquently. Uh, Valeria, are you seeing the same kinds of trends in Europe as Joe has been describing in the United States? Yeah, I would say that pretty much uh, it's uh, the same um, to the point in which, uh, you know, we, we're coming from... Uh, um, but you know, one year ago we were basically uh, trying to acquire value-add deals with uh, with a lot of competition from core and core plus investors, and of course, uh, uh, the scenario has changed dramatically in the last months. Um, and so, as Joe was was saying, you know, the the, the acquisition price we start seeing um, some interesting, uh, let's say, repricing also due to the fact that here. Definitely, the financing for value at play is uh, less available than it was before. Um, and at the same time, you know, because the uncertainty is making investors uh, more risk adverse, um, you know, what we're seeing is is a big, big, um, uh, you know, run towards a core asset, which is uh, creating an, an interesting gap between a secondary asset and uh, and core asset, um, where we have been seeing some uh, cap compression, all also in offices here in Europe, um, and and therefore you know the 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 gap between um, you know the differential between the the the, the asset and the, are in need of. Uh, a certain type of activity to be transformed into value, into in, into core properties, uh, and the price of the core properties are now, uh, let's say, in, in, into, in certain respect, into a safer uh, area, um, which which do create a very big opportunity for for value add player, um, but it's not just a question of pricing uh, that is making uh, the 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 future more interesting for us as value add player, but for sure, um, you know we can, as I say, not only capitalize on on maybe a price changes a price shift, but we can also capitalize on more long-term structural trends uh, that are essentially changing the behavior. So I'm saying something very banal here, but uh, what we're going to do and what we have to do in the future, I think it's very simply to follow the demand uh, with more attention that we have done in the past, because it's going to be more difficult to, um, you know, trying to achieve to our um, 
target return because of the uncertainty. And uh, for this reason, we have to be much more uh, detailed when we do uh, and we analyze the deal. And we have to really understand the demand that is uh, um, you know, going to uh, meet and going to occupy, at the end of the day, our real estate. That's an excellent point, Valeria. I mean, I, I think to a certain extent for the last 10, 20 years, we've, as an industry, we've started to uh, slip in some ways by thinking about office as almost a commodity, especially class A office in the gateway markets, et cetera, and that we're needing to be a lot more diligent around demand and how demand is changing. Um, you, you mentioned in your article, uh, both of you, uh, about uh, how s- some aspects of how demand is changing, um, something that's in the headlines, has been in the headlines quite a bit since this pandemic started, uh, and perhaps before as well, was cities like Paris uh, trying to think of themselves as 15 minute cities and thinking about distance and and how we configure where we live, work and play. Um, How are the two of you thinking about that? Maybe, uh, Valeria, we can start with you. What, you know, what is that doing and where do you think that's going? Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, let's say that the office is an invention. Okay, it's not something that exists in nature. We have invented the type of office that we know, uh, where people has to go to work all at the same time and come out uh, all at the same time and use this, the uh, transportation at the same time. This has got more to do with manufacturing. Let's put, put it this way than 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 real uh, uh, off. You know what you're doing in an, into an office, which is basically producing services. Um, and therefore, you know what uh, is happening is that this is just changing. So is it, it, what we are changing is the way in which we are conceiving the office and the way in which we are conceiving the place in which we work. Um, so, you know, all of a sudden it comes obvious that we we can do the same thing at home and in the office, which doesn't mean that the office will not uh, have importance in the future, but it will just become a something different from what we know them today. They will become much more a place in which people convene to share ideas, to create value, uh, you know, and and, and therefore also the physical space will have to respond to this new request. So in a way, you know, the the, the line between houses and offices is going to blur, but what is going to change most importantly is, is again, you know, this uh, systematic way in which we have to go to the office at eight o'clock and come home at five or whatever. Every every country and every place has got its own um, uh, peculiarities. Um, the only need we will have is to stay together at some point, you know, again, to share ideas, to mentor the younger people, um, you know, to, to, to create uh, the value of the companies, uh, which doesn't mean that we will necessarily need to go to the office every day and, and commute maybe on in the rush hour okay so this idea of the 15 uh, minutes means that uh, you know the, the the quality of life of each of us can be much more sustainable because at some point you might go to the office maybe twice or three times a week and then maybe the, the spend the rest of the time either in your house or in, in some co-working areas which are much closer to your um, to the place in which you live which is creating other opportunities as well which means that all the neighboring school and retail potentially uh, can uh, have another um, you know other opportunities to 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 redevelop in the future uh, so the idea all goes around again uh, rather than creating a model in which everybody has to stick and stay is 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 rather understanding the necessity of the demand of the people that 
again, you know, is not particularly happy to 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 be in tra in traffic jam for two hours or in, in on a train for two hours, but they can adjust the, their life in a flexible way so that they can make the most out of it. Um, so this is the concept, and the concept gets into the sustainability of the cities, um, and and you know, so it's it's a much it's a much bigger bigger inheritance that we will get from this pandemic uh, than just thinking about you know the, the office demand will just shrink. Okay, is really that the um, again you know the 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 end user uh, is uh, thinking differently, uh, and again. This is not the, the pandemic has just accelerated this. Okay, this is not something that we woke up on you know 31st of March and all find out that uh, people wanted to have a better quality of life. This is going on from a quite a long time. It's just that this pandemic, like it has accelerated the e-commerce, it has accelerated other trends as well. And, there, and this is why it has accelerated for probably many years. It would have taken much more time before uh, we get where we are today without a pandemic. Um, but, but, but again, the, those trends were already there and we're not talking about anything new. So we're just talking about something that has been accelerated. I'm going to, I think over the next few weeks, I'm, I'm going to repeat your marvelous thought, which is office is an invention. I, I should put that on a sign over my desk and just keep reminding myself office is an invention, um, which of course means it can change to your point. So Joe, are you seeing the same thing in the States? Uh, certainly we have some cities in the United States that are very much designed around this conception of the invention of office. Uh, how do you think it's going to affect us? Yeah, I, I, I think this has been a, a massive experiment um, that none of us you know, foreshadowed happening this quickly. And it's been successful, you know, the remote working, um, evolution through the pandemic is dramatic. It's severe um, in good and bad ways. And so I think, you know, what that's going to do is it's going to really highlight, um, you know, you start with location, right? Real estate for us is location, location, location. So where, where do people want to house their workers? Um, how do they want to house their workers? Um, I think the pandemic is impacting both of those questions. And in terms of the locations, none of us know exactly, um, you know, over the next one, three, five years, the exact model in certain cities. Um, but we're all hypothecating and we're all um, looking towards the future and how to invest those value add dollars. Where we have high conviction is we do believe that office is going to continue to move in the direction as, as, as Valeria was alluding to. You know, move in that direction of a, 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 you know four walls that really spark collaboration, productivity, innovation. You can't take, you can't, you can't create that magnitude of 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 growth and innovation working from home. Um, you can certainly provide workers the the elements of working from home and the the work life balance, which we've all I think embraced through the pandemic. Um, but there's no substitute for being around people in an office. So, you know, we started to see this um, evolving over numbers of years. And I would really say that the, the catalyst behind that has been technology. Um, you know, the iPhone just coming out in 2007. I mean, our world has changed over the past 10, 15, 20 years in, in office real estate, unlike any uh, prior time period. Um, you know, the world is flat for us. And so... You know, we saw it happening and we've been very focused on the specialization of office 
and wanting to create it, wanting to invest in it, and believing that there's a, a, a growing disparity between functional office and obsolete office. And I think the pandemic is really going to highlight that. And we've got to get really smart about what it is that, that employers want in office space. What is it that employees want in office space? When you look at in the US, especially those who are expanding in office, it's really the skilled workforce. It's the innovative workforce and it's, it's those employers, obviously. Um, and so we want to be in those markets where those employers are either migrating to because of cost of living issues with skilled workers who are migrating out of you know major markets like New York and San Francisco. And where are those new evolution markets that can house the skilled workers that can attract um, the employers into those markets? And then what types of office buildings can we be creating to satisfy that demand? And and what we realize, and what I've realized in my career, especially at, uh, through the past 20 years, is if you can provide that product that really satisfies the, the demand and satisfies the HR department, even more than the CEO, it, it's a means to attract talent. Um, if you can provide that right office space and that right environment for collaboration, productivity, and innovation, you will achieve rents that are outside potentially some competitive set that doesn't stack up to your building, even in that market. So I think over time, we're going to see growing disparities in rent rates for the right types of assets and the right types of locations. Um, we really like markets where we're seeing stronger population growth, of the skilled millennials. Um, we're seeing more migration, again, as I said, of those employers. And it's critical as office investors for us to get inside the head of all of those people and provide the space that they want. And not all buildings can be created equal. And some will become obsolete if you have the wrong ceiling heights and you just can't create the right ceiling height. You have the wrong light in the air. You can't create the wellness that the employees are demanding. Um, you don't have the right access points or the, the work-live play elements, as, as, as Valeria is saying with regard to Paris. You know, it's gotta be in the right location. We're going to have to work our way through this. The pandemic is, is, is having an impact um, and it's going to take a few years to really understand what the new model looks like. There are opportunities right now to create that value, um, but I think you've got to be very uh, disciplined in your approach and, and, and scrutinizing about how you're going to invest in properties and what you're going to create. So Joe, when you think about, uh, so here we are, it's January of 2021. Uh, we're still certainly in the middle of the COVID crisis. Uh, it will be quite a few months, uh, don't know how long, but quite a few months before we kind of come out of this a bit. What are you going to be watching over the next six to 12 months uh, that will impact uh, your strategies either to the negative or to the positive? What are the things that you're watching for? You know, in, in some ways, um, again, we, we have lots of conversations. I, I read a lot. I talk to people. Um, I listen to podcasts. And, you know, I, I, you know, people tend to, they have strong opinions and they tend to look big picture and say, this is what's going to happen. And I think sometimes we forget that one of the most important things we can be doing right now is really trying to understand what's happening on the ground real time, get in the heads of the, the tenants and the CEOs and how are they looking at their space right now? If leases are coming up in the next 5, 10, 30 days, how are those tenants looking at their space? Are they kicking the can down the road? Um, are they doing short-term renewals? Are they willing to commit? How are they looking at programming their space in the future? 
So we can't take our eyes off of, you know, we've got a great data set. We've got a $10 billion portfolio here in the U.S. Um, and we've got to be, you know, drilling into that laboratory of information that we have and, and following that, not just within our assets, but then around the competitive set within the markets that we're in to really figure out, you know, where, where do people want to expand? Where do they want to contract? How do they want to use their space? So that's point number one. That's where we start. What, what is happening today? Don't take your eyes off of that. And sometimes we ignore that um, because we're so focused on looking you know, farther through the windshield. Now, it's extremely important in the windshield. And so when we talk about that and, and you know, what are we looking at as, as leading indicators, you know, we're spending a lot of time focused on population growth and the migration patterns outside of the major markets and where these skilled workers are moving to. We're very thematic in our investing strategy. We want to be investing in where that innovation occurs because what I found in my career is, you know, that's durable. When you have a skilled workforce, a highly educated workforce growing within a market, it creates organic demand. Um, I don't want to be a timer. I don't want to be investing as much in back office where it might have to be more of a timing play. So those leading in indicators are really around skilled millennial population growth, um, you know, working with local chamber of commerce groups and, and business development organizations to understand who are some of the companies who are scouting new locations in these markets. We're seeing, you know, great growth in markets like Dallas and guys moving out of Silicon Valley and, and moving their headquarters to Dallas. Um, so really getting ahead of where, where are the scouts moving? Where, where's the population looking at going? Um, and then, you know, making sure we're paying attention to the, the economic fundamentals. Today, they came out with the, um, the employment report and, and, you know, jobs are down 140,000. Now, most people believe that this is just a bump in the road and the vaccine is, is, is you know, um, will, be, will be available shortly and we'll feel the impact. And I tend to agree with that. Um, but we have to keep our eyes on, on these economic indicators as well, because they do affect office using employment. Well put. I, I think we need to keep our eyes wide open and not get too attached to any single uh, vision of where things are going, but to, to pay close attention. I think that's excellent advice. Well, believe it or not, uh, we have come to the end of our time here today. So I, I would encourage anyone who's listening to make sure you take a look at the winter issue of AFIRE Summit and uh, read Valeria's and Joe's article, Value Add Beyond the Pandemic. Uh, very much worth reading. And I want to thank you, Joe and Valeria, for joining me on the AFIRE podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Gunnar. You've been listening to the A-Fire Podcast. Remember to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform, including Apple, Google, Spotify, and more. A-Fire is not engaged in providing tax, accounting, or legal advice through this podcast. No content included here is to be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell any asset. Some information, including the A-Fire Podcast, may have been obtained from third-party sources considered to be reliable. A-Fire is not responsible for guaranteeing the accuracy of third-party information. The opinions expressed in the A-Fire Podcast are those of its respective contributors and do not necessarily reflect those of A-Fire. To learn more about the A-Fire Podcast, including underwriting guest opportunities, visit afire.org slash podcast.